The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the age of context, and we're going to find out more about it, but I have just had a chance to just get and I'm going to get my teeth into this book but it's called The Age of Context How Mobile Sensors and Data Will Change Your Life and this is written by Robert Cho- Scoble and his wonderful partner Shell Israel who they wrote this book together let me tell you a little bit about each of these guys and they have an incredible background first let me tell you about Robert um Robert is um let's see he's been building online community since 1985 and then in 2010 robert started his technology blog which is scoblizer that's s-c-o-b-l-e-i-z-e-r.com and then from 2003 to 2006 robert worked at microsoft as one of the five guys who started microsoft's famous channel 19 video community he now is working at Rackspace as a startup liaison officer, which means actually that he gets to go around the world to study and make media about world-changing startups. You'll also see a, quite a bit about his videos at youtube.com slash which is S-C-O-B-L-E-I-Z-E-R. And you can just Google his name and you'll see him on Google and Twitter and he has a blog as well. And that's Robert and his partner in crime, so to speak, um, Shell Israel. He's an author, a journalist and a speaker. And he advises executives and companies on how to tell their stories. So he is the, um, you know, co-author on Age of Context, How Mobile Sensors and Data Will Change Your Life. And they previously co-authored Naked Conversations, uh, regarded by many as the seminal book on business and social media. So he writes a blog as well called The Social Beat and um, and a column for Forbes.com. And he's contributed it to Open Forum, Business Week, and Fast Company. So you can find out about both of them. You know, you can see LinkedIn for Shell Israel, and you can just Google their name. But we're thrilled to have them both on with us today from California as well. So thank you so much, Shell and Robert, for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us on. 
It's fun. Okay. So you guys, uh, let's start out with, um, with Robert. What is the age of context? It's, it, it's a, a, a combination of five things, mobile sensors, location data, um, uh, data and social. And what it, what it is when, when we are walking around now with our cell phones, it's studying us. It's studying who we're with, where we're going, what we're doing. And soon we're going to have sensors and wearable computers on that are even going to maybe tell you that you're having a heart attack. Um, when those, when those five things are combined, it's going to give us two things, uh, for humans. It's going to give a highly personalized product. So if you put on, uh, my Google Glasses in the future, you'll see my email, my calendar, my stocks, my weather, my airline tickets. And it also will give us an assistive product, a product that uh, can look ahead of us and say, well, this is what you might be doing next. Uh, this is how much traffic is between the, between your uh, current location and where your next meeting is, or this is where your airline is and it's running late or something like that. Uh, it also has deep implications for business, but we'll get get into that. Yeah. So, let's see. How about Shell? What what made you guys write this book, and and who's it for? Uh, both interesting questions. Um, and trying to tell a long story short is Robert and I, after writing Naked Conversations, get together every now and then, catch up with each other, and. I've been looking for a new book uh, to write and had approached Robert on a few ideas. And one time we were sitting around at his house uh, in Half Moon Bay, California, <clears throat> and I asked him, instead of what he thought a good book would be, what gets him excited. Mm. He started talking about these five forces that he just named <clears throat> and, uh, and how they're converging, uh, how mobile, social, location-based technologies sensors and data are all converging and they're doing new things. And uh, he started getting excited and I started doing what I always do when Robert gets excited. I started saying, now hold on, wait a minute. Tell me if there are any managers in, in any business in the world sitting around wondering how contacts is going to help them make their quarter. And that he couldn't answer, but he could show me why they would be worrying about it. And he showed me that it was even bigger than just a business book, which gets me to the second part of your question, that this is a book about work and life and the world. It's a book about government. It's a book about children being raised in an age uh, where there is so much transparency, where there is so little privacy uh, compared with when I was a child. And so my short answer is this is a book about technology it really is for everybody. Yes. It's for anybody who cares about the future. Yes, and you didn't write it real uh, techie, techie-ease, is that a word? <laughs> but, well, well i got to give special credit there to my wife, Paula. She has the, the wife test. She's done it for my previous four books, and her job is to make sure that what I write is interesting and useful to people who aren't geeks like Robert. Yeah, <laughs> and and she does a superb job. She she puts a balance on to to, to Robert's real uh, genius for technology mm-hmm. and understanding uh, of where it's going. She's proud to be a late adopter. 
She's proud to tell Robert how little she trusts uh, giving her password to, to, to a web browser. So between the two of them, we get a sense of what the world might be like. Yeah. Now, both of you are pretty much techies more than privacy experts, but I noticed in your book you are concerned about privacy. So what? let's talk about how contextual computing really does have a huge privacy component. Yeah. And Robert, you want to go speak to that? Yeah. I mean, we're going to soon wear sensors if, if we're not already carrying them around. The new iPhone that just came out, uh, has a six-axis accelerometer, and I'm wearing one on my wrist that's very similar that can tell whether I've had enough sleep. Uh, mm. I've seen a sensor in the past couple months that can tell 24 hours before uh, you have a heart attack. Uh, other sensors, like the Nest thermostat, uh, you walk by and it studies how you know what you do in the world. And the Microsoft Connect sensor that's coming out this, in a couple weeks can see uh, your heart rate as you walk by. It's so sensitive to see that. So soon our world, our mobile world, is going to know a lot about us. Uh, in, in fact, I think in 10 years it's going to even see our thoughts. It's going to get that sensitive. And that means that there's a, a, a new area for privacy. You know, the Google Glass is watching my eye. Right. It knows where I'm looking. So my wife isn't even that good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and so there's going to be things, there's going to be friction points in this new world because we are able to study ourselves in such deep detail. And we're giving all that data over to companies and, you know, governments and, and, and each other, really. And, you know, there's, there's a dark, oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say there's really a dark side to all of this, as, as there is in everything. New technology is wonderful, and it can be used for all these positive things, but there's some really dark side. I mean, I can, I can just imagine if, if I have a heart monitor and that sensor is there, I'm just wondering if somebody could play with that in any way so that I could be, a, a heart attack could be caused, you know? Now, Shell and I have talked about this a lot, and I'll get Shell in here. Uh, there's a good and bad to all technology. You know, 37,000 people die a year in cars, right? Uh-huh. Die. This isn't, you know, just somebody messing with your heart rate on the monitor. This is, you, you have the ultimate consequence. Yet we all drive because there's such a good, uh, such a utility to that. But, and, in, um, but in that yeah, case, so- in, in that case, we have some control. Obviously, we don't have all control, meaning if somebody rams us, but we have some control. I'm thinking if, let's say I have a, a monitor or a, a, a sensor, let's say I had diabetes, and I had this sensor that could add or subtract depending on how much insulin I needed, right? And that- well, well, actually, Marie, I, I, I am a diabetic, and uh, I, I share the concern you say, but the, the privacy issue isn't so much the hacking uh, of a glucose monitor or an automatic injector, which being used with children with diabetes a lot. The real issue is what happens to the data. Um, do you get to know what's going on, or does your insurance company get right. to know what's going on? Right. If we have data boxes in our car, which we all will with the next car uh, that we buy, and right. uh, people who have high-end cars already have it, um, that data knows wherever you've been, 
They know when you've been there. And so we already know that police can subpoena our, our, our cell phones. Let's assume the police suspecting you of a crime uh, can subpoena your, 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 your car's little black box to right. see whether you're outside a bank when a robbery was held. Right, right. But then again, how far does it go? If your spouse uh, is divorcing you, can she subpoena that box to see where your car was parked overnight right. on a particular night? Um, you know, who owns that data? Do you have it? We have an insurance company, Progressive, who says if you voluntarily install the box, they will give good drivers a discount, which sounds really nice. But will they also penalize bad drivers? Sure. Uh, when, you, when you buy a car... Does the purchaser get a chance to really know the miles you drive, but what your driving habits were? It goes beyond uh, your old maintenance record, which you can voluntarily give, but can they know whether you were a bad driver, whether you drove too fast, whether you, uh, whether you abused your vehicle before you're now selling it? Right. Um, and all of this is not answered. Um, right. All of this is unknown. Um Everybody talks about Google Glass uh, and about what you're watching. And in the book, we talk about how silly it would be to wear a device that lights up when you're recording and go into a restroom, which several newspapers have talked about as a theoretical, and start a video recording somebody next to you because you probably would end up getting pretty badly beaten up for uh, such behavior. At the same time, Glass is looking at what you're looking at. It's recording what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And who owns that data, and how will that data be used, and can you be informed as to how that data is being used, and do you have that right? And the book asks a lot more questions than it answers because we think the conversation is going to go on for a very long time, and we're really trying to get the debate going now rather than when we turn around and discover what we still have is gone. Right. You know, um, there's such a thing as privacy by design, and that is um, a concept of just like when you build a house, if you decide before you build the house, like, okay, we want to make sure there's air conditioning, we want to make sure that there's patios, we want all these things that we want to build into the architecture of the home. It's a lot easier to do it before you build the home than to do afterwards and try and go in and add new vents, etc. And that's um, a concept that that the privacy people, the privacy community, has been really trying to push in the Federal Trade Commission. What about that with regard to um, these issues of this wonderful technology? And I just want you to know, I'm not against any of this technology. I love it. But I'm one of those to say, hey, can we, at the time of the technology is being created, can that be, can that, that thought about what are the privacy implications be built in immediately as you're building the technology? What do you think about that, Shell? Oh, I think it's a very, very nice idea as well as having sunshine every day, but I don't think it's likely to happen, even if you live in Newport Beach. Um, what about if there were is, laws? What, what if there uh, were uh, laws to do that? Well, it's funny about laws. We talk about that in the book. Those that turn to government for 
legislation. Did you know that 61 years since Wisconsin passed the first seatbelt law, we still don't have all states uh, with, with seatbelt laws? In New Hampshire, instead of having a seatbelt law, they have the slogan, live free or die on the license plate. Um, <laughs> government moves much, much, much more slowly than does technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, if I want to see old tech, I can either go to the computer museum in Silicon Valley or go to any government office where I still see these monitors that are about the size of uh, my desk. Uh-huh. Um, right, right. You know, and, and, and they're real proud that they're not using carbon paper. Um, and one department has to physically carry records to another department. So um, in Silicon Valley and all over the world now, there are young entrepreneurs who are doing things because they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't thinking of the implications, the unintended consequences that, that, that are coming about. They're thinking about making cool stuff. Right, right. Well, now, you, you know, just one sentence, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Robert. But uh, when Google first started, they said, you know, search is crap. And if we knew a little bit more about people, we would know that when they type in the word park, they, they're looking for a place to put their car or they're looking for a place where their kids can play. Um, and they needed to know the context of what was being asked. And they collected data. So... Over time, they collected terabyte mountains of the stuff, and they weren't sitting around at the beginning saying, well, wait a minute, if we uh, have two meanings for park, uh, what will happen 20 years from today? So anyway, well, it I'm may not on. even be 20 years. You know, I mean, a lot of these issues doesn't have to be 20 years. I mean, I, I deal with people who are victims of identity theft because of the, you know, uh, implication that there is uh, data everywhere and da- sensitive data everywhere that's either leaked or stolen or just haphazardly lost or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, there's that whole issue of security and privacy and, and building it in. And, and I know that technologists really say, you, you know, you can't stop technology. But I'm just thinking like what we found, you know, in the beginning of the industrial age, they would build these machines that would cut off people's hands, right, and cause all these problems. And then they said, no, you have to have safety, just like safety in airplanes. As you build them, you have to think of safety. Why can't we say think of privacy and security at the same time? Uh, Here's here's why, because on my iPhone, I have... uh uh, about 200 apps right now. Mm-hmm. And each of these apps are run by a little tiny company somewhere in the world that might not even be in America. So laws are a, a really tough thing. You know, is it the Chinese law? Is it the American law? Is it right. you know, the, the Korean law? The, the Australian law? Because these app companies are all over the world now. And they are collecting their own little pieces of data. You know, food spotting co- collects... Uh, what what uh, meals I have, right? And Foursquare collects where I check in, and Apple has a little uh, sensor that's collecting data. And if I wear a Nike Fuel Band, that that data goes to Nike. And so my data is being sprayed 
all over the world into cloud computing servers on many, many different hosting providers, um, and and it's not connected. And there's nobody who is going to a meeting to decide what the privacy policy should be for everybody. Everybody it, gets it, to make up their own little privacy policies. Now, the yeah, good companies... Let me just go for a second, Shell. If you go to google.com slash privacy, you'll see exactly what Google collects on you, right? So they know every search you make. They know every calendar item. If you're using Google Calendar, they know every uh, email. And, in fact, they use this, right? If you email me and say you're going to fly and meet me and you want me to pick you up at the airport, all of a sudden Google now tells me all, all about your flight and whether it's on time. How did it happen? How did that happen? Yeah. They looked into my email and then, you know, if I do a search, all of a sudden other things are showing up on my Google now. Like I did a search for the San Francisco 49ers and figured out, oh, you're interested in the 49ers. So I started putting information about that up on, right. on Google now. Right. And and it knows I'm in Half Moon Bay, California. So it puts the weather up for Half Moon Bay, California and puts photo sites near me. It, it, you know, it, it is very assistive. It's very cool. Yeah. But it gr- grabbed that data by doing something. And Google is very transparent right now and I think is leading the way in uh, this new world of privacy. But they don't do it all perfectly. I, you know, I, we could spend a whole hour on things Google has screwed up over the last five years, but they're they're generally getting it right. And I think the rest of the industry needs to follow their model. Right. So, Shell, let me ask you something then. Given what Robert was just saying, and, and you know, are you in agreement that, like uh, Scott McNeely, when he said, uh, the CEO of Sun Microsystems, he says, you have zero privacy anyway, get over it? I mean, are you thinking that? Or is there any way that we can protect our privacy? Uh, <clears throat> first of all, in one way, he, he is right. He said that in 1999, and... At that time, by the way, there was a Federal Consumer Protection Act trying to govern privacy and consistently tripping over their own feet because they were plundering something and the tech industry kept moving on beyond them. And they never came close to catching up, and the only solution would have been to slow the tech industry down. Uh, What would that have done to the U.S.? And... um, now the issue is to get some transparency going. Uh, I completely agree with Robert that, that, that Google has been more transparent than any company. Not only do they post so you can see what they know about you, they, they've also uh, filed petitions that are being ignored, uh, asking the right to disclose the number of requests they get from the NSA and other government agencies to disclose to the public what is going on. Right. So the first step, the first step is really not one of pre-planning, it's one of uh, transparency. The more people know about what is going on, the implications of what is going on, the more people will know what is right for them. And each of us are very personal. Let's look first on three continents. Um, the issue of a government watching its people in much of Asia is a so what. You know, that is not big news to Iranians, and they're really not optimistic that in the near future they're going to be able to do something about that. In Europe, the, 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 the people look to the government to protect them 
for, for, from business incursions on privacy. In Germany, uh, it's illegal for Google to bring its mapping car up and down residential streets because it's going to show where people live, and that's an infraction in privacy. In America, we have people, perhaps yourself included, based on something you just said, that, that thinks the government uh, should protect us from business. Um, I... No, really? I just, I, no, let me just kind of just yeah. stop you there. I don't think that the government should protect us from business. We've seen what's happened with the government themselves. I would like to see the courts be able to enforce the privacy rights that we have in the Fourth Amendment, the search and seizure laws. That's what I would like to see. So it's, when it so comes I, to courts, yeah. when it comes to courts, we could begin by putting a little sunlight on the FISA court. Right. Uh, I agree. So that, <laughs> so that we knew what they were allowing to be done and what criteria they were being done. Right. America has a pretty unfortunate history on when we start surveilling and questioning and suspecting people who connect with people, as we did in the early 50s. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. I don't know what they're up to, but that would make me worried that I was at a party somewhere in Silicon Valley, and I rubbed an elbow with somebody who happened to fly to a, a country where terrorists are active, and he went to another party, and so therefore I'm one click away in the eyes of the NSA to a terrorist. Right. And where, um, and where, and where is the NSA getting that information? They're getting it from Axiom, LexisNexis, and all of these big data brokers. That's where they're yep. getting this information anyway. So it's the government and uh, corporations are intricately, you know, or Verizon, shall we say, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's intricately involved. But I mean, so, so, you know, we know that there's all these challenges. So given that, what do you guys think? I know you have a lot of questions I noticed in what in the chapters I was looking at. So what, you know, you guys are forward thinking guys. Um, what, but, I know you look at transparency as being a huge issue. How will transparency help us? Like now we're getting the transparency with what what happened with NSA. Does that help us? How does transparency help us? I'll jump in. um, uh, You know, I have a weird uh, uh, kidney disease, and uh, my dad's had that disease, and he has had a uh, transplant. And in the old days, we would have kept that pretty quiet because we wouldn't want anybody to know about it. There might be a taboo or whatnot, or it just isn't something you would discuss with many, many people. Or it might hurt today, your health insurance ability, right? Or your yeah, life insurance and other, yeah. Jobs. Today, yeah, jobs, because uh, you know, sure. if you're a self-insured company and you have to pay for the insurance on a, trans- a potential future transplant right. person. You know. um, so... In this new world, you go to Facebook and you talk about it, and the and I've already done this, and the world helps you. <laughs> uh, some of the best uh, kidney researchers and doctors have gotten in touch with me and my dad because we're open with this new information. Mm-hmm. So the trick is to change the law so there's not the consequences of sharing the stuff in public, uh, and you get the good part of it as well. And, and I think you know, Obamacare is starting to do that with uh, no pre-existing conditions, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. 
Well, um, we are, there is always a good to both sides. Yes. You know? and I've been a very, very transparent person, and I've benefited usually by being transparent um, and by being open and public on my Facebook and all that stuff. Um, you know, we're uh, we're heading into a new world where this thing, this system, because it's yes. not just going to be one company or one product or one. This system is going to help us live our lives, and that sounds a little creepy. But you know, when I go to London and I don't know where to eat, it's going to know what kind of food allergies I have and what kind of uh, what kind of places I usually go to, and it's going to. Yeah. Uh, help me find the best possible experiences when I go there. Oh, absolutely. Um, There's those wonderful benefits. We are out of time, guys. So let me, wow. you know, we could talk for hours. It would be fun, but I, I know that we can't. So I just want to let people know about the book that just came out recently called The Age of Context, How Mobile Sensors and Data Will Change Your Life. And it's with Robert Scoble and Shell Israel. Thank you, guys for sharing your ideas. It's wonderful, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having us on. Okay, you take care, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Write us emails about what you think about privacy in the information age and questions that you have and who you'd like to hear. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.